Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Born to Kill from 1947. The studio RKO Radio Pictures released date May 3rd, 1947, with a running time of 92 minutes. Of course, it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is, Murderer Lawrence Tierney marries insecure Audrey Long, but can't stay away from her divorced sister Claire Trevor. Super tough film noir is uncharacteristically mean-spirited from director Robert Wise, but is well put together nonetheless, a cult item. Now, I discovered Born to Kill because it was included in a Warner Brothers film noir set that I bought many years ago. I used to love these themed classic movie sets because you could discover all of these great films that I would never have sought out on my own. Now, RKO was dubbed the House of Noir because most of the best-known and well-done film noir came from RKO in the 40s, mostly due to the low-budget feel of them. The kind of cramped space and sparse cast lent itself to working well for the genre. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Claire Trevor, who plays Helen Brent. Trevor's career began in the early 1930s, with her breakout role coming in 1937's Dead End with Joel McRae and Humphrey Bogart, and she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for that film. Now, other notable roles for her prior to Born to Kill included Stagecoach with John Wayne and Murder My Sweet with Dick Powell. She also co-starred on the radio show Big Town with Edward G. Robinson. Lawrence Tierney plays Sam Wilde. Now, modern audiences will likely remember Tierney as Joe Cabot in Reservoir Dogs when his character is giving all the guys their nicknames by color before the heist. Tierney's career began in the early 1940s with his big break coming in 1945 for the biopic Dillinger, where of course he played the famous criminal John Dillinger. Even though Tierney was a trained actor and a male model, his off-camera behavior mirrored The tough guy roles he portrayed on screen as he'd constantly be in the tabloids for getting arrested or in brawls, mostly due to his alcoholism. More on that later. Walter Slezak plays Albert Arnett. Now, he was born in Austria, and his film career began in Germany in the early 1920s, before moving to the United States in 1930 to pursue a career in American films. Now, prior to Born to Kill, his best-known U.S. film role was in Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat, playing Willie, in 1944. The director, Robert Wise. Now, this was fairly early in Wise's career, and would later be known for his directorial work on famous musicals like The Sound of Music and West Side Story. But his career began in RKO working on darker films like Born to Kill. And Wise said that Born to Kill was the best script he had to work with up to that point in his career, and it made a huge difference in the outcome of the film. By the way, he also directed the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. Also, Robert Wise began his career working for director Val Luton, and many of his shots in Born to Kill were definitely influenced by his training with Luton, especially in the beginning of the film with the kitchen scene, which we will get into soon. Now, let's get into the making of the film. The film was actually based on a novel written by James Gunn titled Deadlier Than the Male, which is actually a better title than Born to Kill, but the studios wanted to capitalize on having Lawrence Tierney in the film and his past role as John Dillinger. Tallulah Bankhead was the first choice to play the lead of Helen Brent, but due to scheduling conflicts, Bankhead couldn't accept the role and Claire Trevor was selected due to her performance in Murder My Sweet. Ironically, Bankhead was also in Lifeboat with Walter Slezak. The day before the film was released, Lawrence Tierney was arrested for his involvement in a drunken ball with his brother over an unidentified woman and for violating probation on an earlier conviction for public drunkenness. He would be sentenced to 90 days at a work farm for his latest arrest at the time. Now, this type of publicity back then had a negative effect on the film, unlike today, where certain cities back then decided to use Tierney's personal troubles as an excuse to ban the film, as his character was similar to his real life. And even though the film was expected to do well at the box office, RKO reported a net loss of $243,000 after the film's run and blamed the bad press on Tierney's personal life. The additional fallout was that RKO agreed to cut down the violence in future films. 
Okay, let's get into the film. So it's set in Reno, Nevada, which is famously labeled as the biggest little city in the world. We see Helen Brent, Claire Trevor, outside of a courthouse speaking to her lawyer after finalizing her divorce. Now, Reno used to be for people looking to get expedited divorces. So they would go to Nevada to live there for six weeks, which would be a lot faster than other states. Helen lived in a women's boarding house for her six-week stay, which was run by Mrs. Kraft, played by Esther Howard. And she also befriended Lori Palmer, played by Isabel Jewell. Lori, <laughs> Lori, what a one you are, what a one. <laughs> We'd better be quiet, they'll hear us upstairs. Who cares? I'll laugh as loud as I want in my own house. I'll make as much noise as I want. If my rumors want to move out, let them. Who cares? <laughs> Down, Romeo. Get down. Oh, he didn't get you dirty, did he? No, it's all right. He loves everybody, just like Laurie here. Oh, listen now. <laughs> Mrs. Kraft, I'd like to pay my bill. I'm leaving the first thing in the morning. Oh, that's right. This was the big day, wasn't it? <laughs> Have some beer. I don't think so. Oh, why not? If you're glad about the divorce, you ought to celebrate. And if you're sad and want to forget about it, you ought to celebrate. So either way, you ought to celebrate. Right. Here's your bill. Oh, thank you. May I use your pen? I'll give you a check. I'll do it. Sally, some more beer! Stay for supper, huh, Laurie? Oh, I can't. I got a date. Who it? Danny Jadden. That young squirt? Thought you had a new one. I have. Wait till you see him. Tell about him, Laurie. What's he like? Well, this big across the shoulders. He moved my trunk around the other day like it was a cracker box. He's the quiet sort. And yet you get a feeling if you stepped out of line, he'd kick your teeth down your throat. Why? Ain't that wonderful? Sure is. I never knew a man like that. My two husbands was just turnips. Most men are. Isn't that the truth? If you got a man like that, Laurie, why are you going out with Danny? I'm doing it to needle a new one. He knows I'm crazy about him. He knows he's got me all wrapped up. So I've got to start him worrying. It's a bore, but... That's the way you have to handle men. Ain't she cold-blooded, though? <laughs> I wouldn't say so. I'd say she was just being practical. We're fresh out of beer. How many times have I told you? Oh, I've you? got plenty. I'll run over and get some. No, no, please don't bother. Are you sure? I live right next door. It'll only take a minute. No, thank you just the same. I probably won't see you again before I leave, so goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Brand. Bye. Oh, and good luck with the new one. Thanks. You know, you ought to put on some meat, Laurie. You're so skinny, can't grab hold of you anywhere. Well, I haven't noticed anybody having any trouble. <laughs> You're a one, Laurie Palmer. You sure are a one. <laughs> so it is clear that Helen is not, quote, one of the girls. She's got kind of a high society sort of arrogance that Laurie and Mrs. Kraft do not share. It's also interesting how the name Lori Palmer is very similar to Laura Palmer, like on Twin Peaks. So I wonder if David Lynch was possibly inspired by this film, because it is very dark for the time. Now, before leaving town, Helen goes to a casino that night. She runs into Lori and her new beau, Danny, while at a craps table. However, before they see each other, Helen has an encounter with a man who's rolling dice at the table. They never actually speak to each other, but make eye contact the entire time as Helen mimics the bets he's placing. Well, at first she does. After winning the first bet, she then changes and promptly loses. The man seems sort of miffed, but never really smiles at her, just glares. He also suspiciously glares at Lori as she walks away from the table, which is possibly foreshadowing things to come. So Danny takes Lori home, and she invites him into her house for a drink. Now, when Danny goes into the kitchen to make them drinks, the man from the casino is waiting in the kitchen. His name is Sam Wilde, played by Lawrence Tierney. He tells Danny to beat it, to which Danny says he definitely will not leave. We can gather that Sam is the broad-shouldered guy that Lori was talking about in the beginning of the film, and she was using Sam to make Danny jealous, or vice versa. Danny pulls a knife on Sam, and they get into a fight in the kitchen. But Sam gets the upper hand, and eventually hits him over the head with a blunt object, and kills him. Sam hears Lori coming into the kitchen and turns out the light. Lori discovers Danny's body and slowly backs away, running into Sam in the corner. Lori screams and Sam strangles her. All the while, Lori's cute little dog is barking away. Kind of looked like my childhood dog, Bridget Bardog. Now, this last fight scene is incredibly well done and very well shot. 
Sam leaves the house, and the dog also runs out the door. Sam notices a woman walking across the street and then hides. This woman is Helen, and the dog runs up to her. As Helen takes the dog back to Lori's house, Sam creeps away. When Helen enters Lori's house, she discovers the two bodies. She leaves the dog in the house and then goes back to Mrs. Kraft's boarding house next door. At first, it looks like Helen is going to call the police, but then she hangs up. She starts to walk upstairs, but then has second thoughts and goes back to the phone. She then makes her call, but it's not to the police. She's calling for information to find out about the nearest train station. This is very film noir, this type of scene. Helen has chosen her path early on by not calling the police. So in the first 10 minutes, the film is incredibly racy and dark for the time. You have a divorce, you have gambling, somewhat implied promiscuity with Lori and Danny, and then, of course, murder. So Sam lives with his friend named Marty, who is played by Elisha Cook Jr., who you might remember from many different roles, but specifically modern viewers might remember him in the Magnum P.I. series with Tom Selleck playing Ice Pick. And Sam explains what just happened. Where you been? Out. No. Who is the Palmer Dam? If we're going to carry on a conversation, it'd help for you to talk. The Palmer Dam's dead. Why'd you do it, Sam? I had to. She caught me with him. Him? That kid. I'm making a monkey out of me. Oh, I wouldn't have killed her, too, I guess, but she walked in and saw the kid lying there. I've been scared something like this had happened, the way you go off your head. And it's been worse lately, ever since that nervous crack-up last summer. Honest, Sam. You go nuts about nothing. Nothing at all. You gotta watch that. You can't just go around killing people whenever the notion strikes you. It's not feasible. Why isn't it? All right, Sam. All right, it is. He was cutting in on me. With her? That was a big worry, I'll bet. It's not that. It's just that I never let anybody cut in on me on anything. I can have anything I want, Mart. Anything at all if I put my mind to it. Sure, Sam, sure. And when I want it, I take it and nobody cuts in. Of course, Sam. Why, he must have been crazy thinking he stood a chance with a dame after she got a load of you. Anyone spot you there? Not that I know of. Anyone ever see you with her? How do I know? I don't watch everybody that looks at me. Take it easy, will you? Sam, I'm trying to help you, that's all. There's a train out of here in an hour for San Francisco. You'll be on it. Are you coming? No, I'll stick here till this dies down. I'll check what leads they've got, see if anybody saw you and who they are. You get out, call me when you're set. Need any dough? No. Buy your ticket after you get on the train, not in the station. And Sam, in the meantime, no dames, understand? I've got a dame in my mind, and she's dead. That's plenty for me. Sam arrives at the train station, and guess who he runs into waiting for the next train to San Francisco? That's right, Helen. They both recognize each other from the casino, and he helps carry her bags onto the train. Well, now at least we won't get thrown off to the next stop. Oh, don't worry. Nobody's going to throw us off. What an assured man. I don't know what you want in life. Be sure you're going to get it. You can't miss. I found that out early. Most people don't know what they want out of life in the first place. I'll bet you do. Do I? Yes. Yes, I do. Exactly. Don't you? I know what I want when I see it. Smoke? Nothing. I saw you once before this evening. Remember? Yes. You didn't play long. No. I don't like gambling very much. I don't like being at the mercy of those little white squares that roll around and decide whether you win or lose. I like to have the say-so myself. You're not a turnip, are you? A turnip? Yes, we were saying the other day, Mrs. Croft, where I roomed, and Laurie Palmer, a friend of hers, that most men are turnips. Oh. You may have noticed Mrs. Palmer. She was the woman who spoke to me at the dice table this evening. Yes, I believe I did notice her. Anyhow, you're not. Not what? A turnip. Oh. You like that? Yes. I like that very much. Do you live in San Francisco? Yes. 
good. Why good? Because that's where I'm going to be for some time. to see you again. Uh, let me call you when I get straightened around. I don't know where I'm going to be. Better give me your number. Well, you'll be staying at a hotel, won't you? Look, if you don't want to see me again, just say so. If I didn't want to, I'd tell you. That's what I thought. Why don't you stay at the Terrace Hotel? I'm sure you can get a room there, and it's a nice, quiet place. You like it? Terrace. Somebody meeting you when we get off the ferry? No, I'm going to pick up a cab. Well, swell, we'll share one. I'm afraid not. We go in different directions. That's where you're wrong. We're going in the same direction, you and I. Now, part of the reason film noir is so much fun to watch, and the reason I still enjoy it, is the dialogue in these films. And I really like that last scene. It might be unrealistic, but it still works, and it's a lost art in today's movies. You also get a great shot of the Bay Bridge in the last scene, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. We then cut back to Reno, where we meet a private detective named Albert Arnett, played by Walter Slezak. He's just been hired by Mrs. Kraft to find the killer of Lori. Mrs. Kraft? Obviously. Who'd you expect? <laughs> Quite so. It distresses me that we must meet here, but they are redecorating my suite and I simply cannot tolerate the smell of paint. Well, all I hope is you're a good detective. Well, didn't someone refer you to me? No, your name just came first in the classified phone book. Oh, <laughs> well, I've been in this business some 20 years. Being still alive, the deduction is, I have not starved at my trade. <laughs> <coughs> that beer. Does it every time. Well, Mrs. Kraft, how can I serve you? You can serve me by finding the rat who killed poor Laurie. She had the best time of anybody I ever knew, that Laurie Palmer. Why, just hearing her tell about her doings is all the fun I had left in life. So now whoever did her in is going to get his. I'll see to that. You realize, of course, Mrs. Kraft, that this will be a particularly difficult case. I will have had no opportunity to inspect the scene of the crime or the evidence. I have none of the advantages enjoyed by the police. I know all that. So under these circumstances, I cannot promise you anything but effort. That is, if I'm retained. You're retained, so hop to it. Uh, first, there is a slight monetary transaction. How much? $500 should retain me very nicely. $500? You think I'm a millionaire? Laurie Palmer left you her house. Quite a nice bit of money. How do you know? I'm a detective, remember? Another great thing about film noir is the consistent use of private detectives, who are not always on the up and up. So while someone like Mrs. Kraft doesn't have the faith or trust in the police, she for whatever reason will pay a private investigator who may or, not, who may or may not have her best interest in hand, especially when the bottom line for him is just to make money. So the other common film noir trope is the sort of outhouse to penthouse type of deal, and... We then go back to San Francisco and we discover that Helen has a wealthy fiancé named Fred, played by Philip Terry, who was one of Joan Crawford's uh, ex-husbands. I think he was number four. <laughs> and an equally wealthy foster sister named Georgia, played by Audrey Long. The three of them are getting ready to go out when Sam just shows up at the house. Now Sam is a bit annoyed, though he hides it well, that he's been lied to again by a woman as he finds out that Helen is engaged. Now, we also find out why Helen didn't report finding the bodies of Lori and Danny. We find this out when she has a private conversation with Georgia. That murder just happened the night before you left. Didn't you hear anything about it? No, I left early the next morning. Were both the pictures in the paper? Yes. She was quite a good look. How did you know there were two people murdered? Nobody said so, and you didn't even look at the paper. I, uh, well, I... Georgia, as a matter of fact, I discovered the bodies. What? And I'd rather you wouldn't mention it. But how did you? Didn't you scream? Why didn't you call the police? Well, mainly on account of Fred. You know how he loathes anything bordering on sensationalism. And getting involved with a thing like that is sure to be messy. Besides, it's a lot of bother. Coroner's inquest and all that sort of stuff. 
Well, that seems a rather self-centered way of looking at it somehow. I don't think so. If I had any information, it would be different, but I couldn't tell them anything, could I? Well, maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. So the four go out to a nightclub, and while Fred and Georgia have a dance, Sam starts in on Helen about why she led him on. We find out that she's likely marrying Fred for his money, and then Sam discovers that Georgia is wealthy after her father left her fortune to her after his death. This piques Sam's interest in Georgia, who is very attractive to boot, and he eagerly accepts her offer to dance. Sam's forward nature in his pursuit of Georgia is attractive to her, because most men aren't as aggressive with their courting. So while at his hotel, Sam talks to his buddy Marty on the phone, and we find out what Sam has in store for his future. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Hello, Mart. Sam, what's doing? Good. Sure, I know it'll be okay. I wasn't worried. Terrace Hotel. Yeah. I got news for you, Mart. I'm getting married. I'm not kidding. I mean it. I don't know when. I just decided. Georgia Staples. She's an orphan. Her old man died and left her San Francisco's biggest newspaper. Sure, it's a big league. Isn't it about time I was up there? Yeah. We'll not only be rolling in dough, but marrying into this crowd will fix it so as I can... so as I can spit in anybody's eye. Now hurry up and get down here, because I don't know how long I'll be able to hold her off. Okay, boy. I'll be seeing you. We then cut to Marty arriving in San Francisco. Also arriving is private investigator Albert Arnett. He finds out that Marty is going to a wedding, Sam and Georgia's. He acts like he's homeless and looking for work, and one of the maids lets him in for a meal, and there's tons of food that will likely go to waste anyway. So Albert ends up washing dishes for his meal. Helen is not pleased during the ceremony. We're not sure if it's because she's looking out for her sister from being taken in by this suspicious man, or if it's just Helen being jealous because she has a flame for Sam. Well, we get a little bit of insight after the ceremony when Sam and Helen talk in the study. Well, I've come to say goodbye. Nice of you. So sad goodbyes, don't you think? Saying goodbye to you is. Smooth, simply smooth. You don't believe I mean that, do you? With bells on. Do you mind? No, go ahead. I don't drink much. I don't need it. That's where we're different. Everybody's different from everybody else in some ways. Oh, you fancy yourself an intelligent man, don't you? I don't like that remark. So, of course, if you don't like it, I mustn't say it. I think you've had too much to drink. You know what I think? I think you've got a secret of some kind, haven't you? Well, haven't you? Why does your face go tight all of a sudden sometimes? And, and what about this friend of yours, this, this pug ugly you've brought to the house? Anything else you'd like to know? Yes. Why do you stay away from me? You haven't said two words to me since you first came here. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Stop that phony intellectual powder, you climbing faker! Sorry, that was a rotten thing to say. No, you're right. I'm nobody much. But I'll make myself a lot more than I am. I can do it, too. You don't think I can, do you? I haven't given it a thought. You know, Sam, the way you kissed Georgia after the ceremony was very convincing. You were the perfect picture of the ardent young husband, faithful unto death. Why shouldn't I be? Don't you realize my wife's very attractive? I know you realize you're very attractive. Oh, now that was a fine thing to say. I bet you can't even remember all the women who've been mad about you, can you? Can you remember all your men? Leave me out of this. Okay. Just one more thing. George is my sister and I love her very much. After all she's done for you, you'd be crazy if you didn't. You don't know anything, do you? You're talking about her money, and I hate her for her money. Every time she pays a bill, every time I see something I, I don't own, I'm only borrowing, I hate her for her money. 
That's nice of me, isn't it? After all she's given me without even thinking. I know how you feel. There's more to it than that. Her money has made her something that I'll never be. She's completely innocent. She has a perfect faith that if she asks someone a question, they'll... they'll give her the right answer. Anyhow, I love Georgia. And if you do anything to hurt her, I'm your enemy. And I make a very bad enemy, too. Goodbye, sister. Sam gives Helen a not-so-platonic sort of kiss at the end of the last scene. Helen is also informed about Arnett, who seems to be asking a lot of questions for a supposed hungry hired hand. When Helen confronts Arnett, he reveals who he really is. Helen threatens to call the police for trespassing, but Arnett convinces Helen that would be very unwise because it could affect Georgia as he has information on Sam, but we don't quite know what it is yet. However, Helen slowly realizes that having Arnett investigating Sam might actually benefit her in the long run. Helen decides to meet with Marty to do a little digging in Sam's past, but Marty won't divulge anything. However, she does invite him to stay in the mansion that Georgia owns, much to the dismay of Fred, who doesn't like the idea of a single man living in the same house as her. So George and Sam arrive home early from their honeymoon and are having a fight because Sam wants to run the newspaper that Georgia inherited from her father. But nobody thinks it's a good idea since Sam doesn't know the first thing about running a newspaper. Why were you against me tonight? You don't know what I have in me. You don't know what I can do. I can run that paper, and better than most if I had a chance. I believe you could. Then why were you against me? Because Fred was. And you love Fred desperately. I love Fred. You love Fred. Why this sudden passion to run the paper? I'd be on top. I could make people or break them. I could do that. Do you understand? Yes. I think I do. Sure you do. Because your roots are down where mine are. I know that the first time I saw you. Soulmates, huh? <laughs> Stop laughing. Now, for a man who's just returned from his honeymoon with an attractive wife, you're very ardent. What's the matter with you? You know how I feel about Georgia. Do I? Unless you're a fool. She means no more to me than Fred does to you. Very interesting. Now I must get this milk up to Georgia. He means nothing to you. Say it. He does, though. What? What, Helen? Fred is peace and security. It's his money, then? Yes, partly. All my life I've lived on other people's money. Now I want some of my own. But there's another kind of security that Fred can give me. Without him, I'm afraid of the things I'll do. Afraid of what I might become. Fred is goodness and, and safety. And what am I? You. Your strength, excitement, and depravity. There's a kind of corruptness inside of you, Sam. That'd drive most women off if they understood like you do. Yes. But not you. You have guts. Georgia told me how you found those two in Reno. You had guts then. You didn't yell or faint. No. And it wasn't only finding them dead. It was the way they were dead. The kid jammed in the doorway. The Palmer dame lying there under the sink. Blood on her hair. Blood all over the place and you didn't yell. No, I didn't. What are you doing here? I brought my stuff over. I'm moving in. Whose idea was that? Helen suggested it. Good night. You sure picked a fine time to bust in. I need a drink. Both Sam and Helen have a certain coldness, bordering on being a bit psycho, which likely attracts them to one another. The problem is there's no balance if they were to be together. You can't have two people that act like that or they're combust. 
However, they can't resist each other, and you can guess how that will play out. But it makes for a great movie, of course, especially for film noir. Helen decides to meet with Arnett to find out what his investigation has turned up. Where every prospect pleases and only man is vile. That quotation occurs to me quite often in my profession. Mr. Arnett, I've been very curious to know what progress you've made since I last saw you. I've done rather well. How well? My investigation concerning Mr. Wilde is almost complete. And uh, when you fill in what's missing? I shall turn everything over to my client, who I believe will inform the police. Naturally, I'm deeply interested. After all, it does concern my brother-in-law. So it does. And it would be very trying for all of us if he were linked up with anything like... Like what? murder? Unfortunately, Mr. Wilde is already linked up with it. In fact, I would go so far as to say that not only is he linked up with it, but he's the chief performer in this case. I presume that so far your client knows nothing. Your presumption is correct. Uh... Mr. Arnett, I... It's quite all right, Mrs. Brent. I am a man of integrity. But I'm always willing to listen to an interesting offer. Well, I'm prepared to pay handsomely. Good. Obstructing the wheels of justice is a costly affair. $5,000 should do it. $15,000 should do it. I think you're basing your demands on false premises, Mr. Arnett. I am not a rich woman. I know that. But your sister is very rich. So is Mr. Grover, whom you're planning to marry. Seven thousand. Fifteen. I doubt very much if I can manage to get it. In that case, I shall have to forge ahead with my inquiry. And may I remind you that Nevada courts have rather puritanical views? Why, some of our more impassioned juries even insist that a man who commits murder pay with his life. You know, Mrs. Brent, I'm a simple man. And I'm somewhat confused about your motive in protecting Mr. Wilde. He's my sister's husband. I should think it would be quite obvious. But he was your sister's husband when I came to your house that first day, and you had no intention of protecting him then. In fact, you went out of your way to supply me with information which might assist me. Of course, Mr. Wilde is a most attractive man. And I suppose even my sister-in-law, on sufficient acquaintance, might succumb to his charms. Good night. Good night. Has it occurred to you, neither of us looks like a scoundrel, do we? In the meantime, Marty and Sam find out about Arnett, and Marty decides to follow Arnett to see what he's up to. Mrs. Kraft has now come to San Francisco to find out about Arnett's progress about the killer of Lori. After Arnett's meeting with Lori, Marty visits Mrs. Kraft at her hotel. Yes? How do you do, Mrs. Kraft? Who are you? Take your foot out of my door. What I want to talk to you about concerns Lori Palmer. Oh. Thank you. Well? Now, now, you don't expect me to tell you. Just like that, it's not feasible. How much is it going to cost me? Well, I'm not going to do much, so I won't need much. A C note should make me very happy. Now, I suppose. No. I'll prove to you I'm strictly on the level. Tonight will be all right, after I show you what you're looking for. Fair enough. How come you got a hold of this information? Through underworld connections, like it says in the newspapers. I'm a bad boy. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Have some beer. No, thanks. Beer makes me sleepy. I don't like it. Me, I love it. I love it the best in the world. I love Laurie, too. Yeah, I'm at the bar and tail end of my life, and Laurie was all I had. Laurie in the bottle. Well, there's nothing I can do for the bottle, but I am sure not going to let Laurie down. That's right. You and Laurie stick together. Mrs. Kraft, here's a map of San Francisco and vicinity. 
You see this corner I've marked here? I better write it down for you. You pick up a cab tonight and drive out there alone. I'll be waiting for you. What time? 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And remember, Glamour Girl, I'll do this on just one condition. What's that? That you don't make any passes at me when you get me out there. I'm a very shy kid. Oh. <laughs> So Sam instructed Marty to meet with Mrs. Kraft late at night at the beach under the guise of showing evidence to Mrs. Kraft about the whereabouts of Lori. But really, Marty is supposed to kill Mrs. Kraft. However, Mrs. Kraft is a feisty old gal and puts up quite a struggle. And before Marty can stab her, he's blindsided by Sam, who is in a jealous rage that Marty talked with Helen that night alone in her room. Marty didn't even say anything bad about Sam, or even make a pass at her, but Sam's a psycho, <laughs> and he ends up killing Marty while Mrs. Kraft escapes. So the police come to George's house and question Sam about the last time he saw Marty. Sam says he saw Marty that night before he went out and then played bridge with Helen until midnight, which of course was a lie, though Helen is playing along all the time. You fool, you stupid, crazy fool. think the world is yours that you can crash around tearing it to pieces? Why don't you use that thick head of yours occasionally before you wreck everyone's life? Why didn't you think what you were doing? I knew what I was doing. And I'll do it again any time I catch anybody making a monkey out of me. What do you mean? I saw Mart coming out of your room. You mean you murdered him for that? And you were the one who said you've got to know what you want out of life and go after a tooth and nail. You who let every mad whim that enters your brain whip you around. I'll bet you'd even kill me if I made a move that didn't meet with your approval. I might. Why was Mart out there on the sand dunes? What's the difference? He's dead now. You're forgetting I'm in this too. And don't think I didn't loathe perjuring myself to the police. Why was he out there? To meet all Eddie Kraft, Palmer's pal. He was going to get rid of her. I suppose that was your idea. Why not? She put a detective on me, didn't she? And if you'd succeeded in killing her, what about the detective? I'd have figured something out. Oh, yes. You and your great brain, you'd have figured out something fine. Something that would have messed things up good. I'm sure of that. Where can I find Mrs. Kraft, do you know? Why? Why do you suppose to try and patch up your bungling? I'm so grateful to have such a clever friend. I can do better than you did. And I won't need any knives or blunt instruments either. All right, so what happens? Does Mrs. Kraft keep up her search for the murder of Lori? And what about this weird attraction between Sam and Helen? Well, there's about 15 minutes left, and boy, it's a doozy of an ending. This is a terrific film noir that should interest those who love the genre, and especially those that love B-films. All right, some fun facts. So American critics at the time felt the movie was overly dramatic and violent. However, European critics appreciated this darkness much more. Now, for some reason, everyone in the film calls Marty Mart instead of Marty. It almost sounds like they're calling him Mark with a K. It's sort of a weird thing that his character name is never referred to correctly in the film. So additional bad press for the film occurred a year after the film was released when a 12-year-old boy in Chicago named Howard Long used a switchblade and a chunk of concrete to kill a 7-year-old boy. The defense lawyer said that he was inspired to commit the murder after seeing Born to Kill three weeks before the crime. However, this was the defense used in Lang's appeal after he'd already been sentenced to 22 years in prison. So while the film was somewhat exonerated by the courts, Lang's conviction was actually overturned when it was deemed that he was too young to understand what he was doing. Also, further measures were put into place to avoid having children seeing mature-themed fi films like this, even though today it would be considered rather tame. All right, so we have a special guest, Samantha, who, of course, loves classic films. She's a frequent guest on Damn Good Movie Memories, so we're going to talk to her. And then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Samantha. Welcome back, Samantha. Hello. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. And this is, you're my resident go-to uh, classic film person. And uh, I also like to get your opinion on movies that maybe you had just seen for the first time. And this happens to be one of them. Yeah. So First uh, time. First time. Viewer. But you're a fan of film noir, that's if I'm correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love this genre, and I've seen like so many random movies. So, yeah, I love this 
the specific time period era, the whole uh, vibe. So this one was it. It started off quick. Mm -hmm. um, like it kind of shocked me in a way. Like it really got into the storyline fast and then it moved really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a lot of like introduction to the characters. Right. Um, and you didn't really know, you know, what their intent was, their backstory. But we kind of got into this really kind of dark storyline definitely right, right away um so it did it did surprise me in a bit um yeah and it kept me hooked because it was suspenseful and I it kind of twisted here and there so I wasn't quite sure what was gonna happen and yeah I, I really liked it overall good and so what platform did you find this on I rented it on, oh, okay. yeah, on YouTube, actually. That's where I like to rent a lot of my digital movies mm -hmm. um, because I don't support Amazon. Okay. <laughs> well, I would prefer the the lesser of the evils, which is Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all going to be a mega corporation no matter what. Um, but yeah, so I just rented it and watched it. Um, and yeah, it seemed it was really, yeah, good quality and... I I'm glad I I'm glad I found it. So this is a this is good because a lot of people um, want to know where they can find this stuff. So you would recommend YouTube, and they're pretty inexpensive for movies like this too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a dollar ninety nine. Oh, it can't be that. And instant, and they have surprisingly, I find like a lot of obscure kind of classic Hollywood movies are on there, mm -hmm. um, and they're in HD usually. Um, and yeah, anytime I have like a random inkling to watch like something old that's not on any like streaming service, I can usually find it. So you, you mentioned how brutal like kind of the intro was. How did you feel about Lawrence Tierney? Because he is pretty, pretty dark in this. Yeah, yeah. I think the first shot of him is when in that casino mm -hmm. um, and he's at the table playing I can't remember what game, what they were playing, but he yeah. was just sitting there and then he gave a look right away. Right. Um, and you could tell like, okay, this guy's either going to be, he's the bad guy here, but <laughs> it was almost kind of like, it, cause how it was framed with the women there, it was a little kind of like subtly flirty, yeah. um, but also kind of aggressive so i yeah i wasn't quite sure from the beginning yeah what he was going to do and how he was going to become affiliated with the others yeah like i said it, it moved fast and it, he I, I mean we can talk about what he does but sure his first action in the movie really is murdering two people that's right so that was really um shocking to me like i Oh, I don't want to say like, but I love murder <laughs> mysteries and like serial killer, anything having to do with like horrible, horrible I'm, I'm crime with you. Stuff. Yeah. This is what we so, bond over folks. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like to see these quick murders with really no um, thought mm -hmm. behind it. It didn't seem, and I think going big into his character a bit more, he is more of like an impulsive like he gets set off really quickly mm -hmm. as his friend, I think later talks about, but yeah, he just goes in, kills his kind of girlfriend and the guy she's with who right. he also knows and mm -hmm. yeah, just kills them right away, moves on with his day and he has to, you know, go get out of town and that spurs the rest of the plot. Um, and yeah, he, was a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And then you get immediately into the femme fatale with uh, Helen, who that's Claire Trevor, which is very like she, there's something off with her too. So it's yeah. almost like they were kind of meant to be though. They don't actually really get together, which is interesting. Did you find that way? Did you find the plot convoluted or did you feel you had to really pay attention to what was going on? So I think generally it was easy to follow. Like if you didn't read too much into it, mm -hmm. like if you, if you boil it down to what happened, it was, you know, a woman who wasn't, uh, didn't have the greatest moral 
right. guidance in her life, along with a guy who kind of acted impulsively. They kind of took what they wanted to take what was available and mm-hmm. they she kind of took advantage of him. She played a bunch of people. He played some people. Nothing really worked out right. And in the end, like they got what was coming to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did like when I was done watching it, I read up on the plot and there were a few things I missed because um, mm-hmm. I think the the writing wasn't extremely clear um, right, right. And, like how quickly things moved um, and uh, the characters weren't very de- they weren't fully developed uh-huh. enough um, so yeah there was definitely I think some things that could have been better but the basics of the plot were entertaining enough and I wanted to know kind of yeah what would happen to these two horrible people <laughs> in the end <laughs> Yeah, I was. I always thought that there should have been more for kind of the bumbling private detective. Um, yeah, he he was there, but like he really didn't add that much. And he's a good character. Um, and he's a good character actor, Walter Slezak. Yeah, I know. I thought when he was introduced, maybe we would see a bit more from his perspective, but mm-hmm. he kind of just served as a as kind of a a point for Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of scheme around and we get to find out like who he's working for. Yeah. We don't really, and he, you know, he does investigate, but yeah, it wasn't really much. Like, I feel like if this movie came out nowadays, it probably would have been like twice as long. Yeah. Yeah. Would have had more to it. Um, Which I'm not sure is good though. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe just from like, yeah, I love an investigative movie so I, I like that point you bring up like yeah if we could have seen more from that angle and less like you have know, them like getting doing a quick wedding and right <laughs> all, all of that weird stuff like okay <laughs> so how did you feel about the the kind of the weird uh dynamic between helen and, and georgia yeah um again i think that wasn't explained very well at right. the beginning like I think there was a lot of catch up at the end with their like conversations, but yeah, I feel like, was there a big age gap? Like why? Because Georgia seemed a lot younger and then Helen had already been divorced and she was seeing this rich guy. um, And, but she wouldn't inherit any money. So of course that was a problem for her. We find out. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, I think in a way, yeah, Georgia was definitely the very innocent character in all of this, right? Right, so, right. You always need one of those in film noir. Yeah, yeah. She was just the sweet, kind of innocent person, and everyone stepped all over her. Um, and of course, she's wealthy, and and that uh-huh. also that that's also a problem. And I guess she's like a foster sister um, to George to um, to Helen. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 guessing. Maybe George's dad adopted Helen. Right, right. Or they took her in for some reason as a child, but she still kind of lived a socialized life in mm-hmm. a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely yeah, like a lot of this stuff. If you if you discuss it too much, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I, you kind of go along with the ride, and that's what I yeah. found. Like, when you when you can when you start to really analyze this stuff, it's best not to really analyze it. So yeah, yeah, um, and I think that's I think a downfall of this movie. Like, yeah, just kind of watching it for pure entertainment, I enjoyed. Like, because it got off quick, mm-hmm. and then there's kind of this like glamorous angle of how Sam is trying to work his way up but you don't really know why like he suddenly wants to yeah is he just in it for the money right and then yeah and then helen and him kind of have a thing or do they so (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that kind of keeps you hanging on until the end yeah like oh maybe she and then at one point like right at the end she tells him to like shoot georgia when they're i'm like really does she want him to uh, how are they going to get her money? So, <laughs> so how do you feel in movies like this where they there is a lot going on, and then they kind of do the whole catch up explanation 
like in the last five minutes to explain. Do you like it when they do that, or do you feel it's kind of a cop out? Um, I I mean, it kind of comes with this genre in a way. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like it, especially if I'm being lazy, like a right. lazy viewer, <laughs> and I'm I'm watching just for the entertainment factor. It's nice to have the the summary and things kind of get wrapped up. Um, and it reminds me a bit too, like I love um, uh, like TV crime shows. Right. And how they, at the end, there's always like the the final scene where everything comes together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yes. <laughs> Everything's explained. And it is, I wonder if it kind of comes from these, these types of movies. Um, but yeah, nowadays I don't like it in like a modern movie, but it's kind of part of the like kitsch of the, mm-hmm. the genre at the time. So I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> okay. So that, that's good to know. So you watched it, you liked it. Uh, would you recommend it? Or are you like, Brian, why did you make me watch this? No, I would say if you're into the, it's kind of like a, a gritty, like surprisingly violent. If you're into that type of film noir, I would watch it like at least to me these actors aren't the most like widely known so mm-hmm. you're not getting yeah. the at the time they were but I think today at least for people of my generation their names aren't as famous as like you know Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall like that exactly. that crew so I mean if you're into the genre I would say it's a fun it's a fun watch like you said, it is a bit convoluted. Mm-hmm. It may be a bit trashy, but I <laughs> it love feels like it. A B movie. It's, a, it's kind of a B movie a little bit. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. And I don't hate B movies. Um, and I also strangely like I, I live in San Francisco and mm-hmm. the movie oh, right. is partially based in San Francisco. So I kind of like any movie that is partially filmed or based here because i kind of break apart the filming locations <laughs> right because you can see the golden gate bridge when they're on the ferry right um on the, the bay bridge actually the bay bridge right there you go yeah see, there you and go. so they filmed they didn't actually film there um they they i looked this up and they shot um they did some shooting and then they filmed it all in a studio and ran it in the background Ah, uh, okay yeah um, as they as they often did yeah and they did base a couple um of the scenes into famous um hotel bars so yeah that was cool like i always like that kind of stuff so if something's like local to me that kind of gives it a couple extra points well you should definitely see the original doa from uh 1950 because they kind of did some guerrilla filmmaking so they're definitely on the streets of san francisco and they they didn't get permits because you could tell like people were kind of like the the onlookers are kind of oh. looking like what's going on here <laughs> okay oh i have to watch that then yeah i think and that's another kind of it's definitely a b movie definitely a good 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 plot as always thank you so much samantha and i'll, I'll come up with another classic movie for you to check oh. out and we know they can we can get them cheap on youtube yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks again hey, thanks come hang out and chill with brian a davis and the bad beat Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.